I want to invite everybody to please stand and open your Bibles to Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 12. It will be on the screen. Mark chapter 14, verse 12. And for those who are here for the first time, we're going through the gospel of Mark. And we only have three more Sundays left in this gospel. We're two weeks away from Resurrection Sunday, also known as Easter. And I want to encourage everybody, I know many of you have been reading Mark throughout this Lenten season, to sit down and read it again over these next two weeks, this gospel of Mark. Here in chapter 14, starting in verse 12. On the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and prepare the Passover so that you may eat it? So he went, so he sent two of his disciples and told them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Wherever he enters, tell the owner of the house. The teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make the preparations for us there. So the disciples went out, entered the city, and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. When evening came, he arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining and eating, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be distressed and say to him, one by one, Surely not I. He said to them, It is one of the twelve, the one who is dipping bread in the bowl with me. For the Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for him if he had not been born. As they were eating, he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, gave it to them and said, take, take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and giving thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. He said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I tell you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for this incredible day. Lord, I thank you so much for all this rain you've given us this morning. I thank you for the, all the construction work that's been over into our educational building where it has not flooded at all this year. And we praise you for that. Father, we praise you for places like this where we can come together and worship and sing and praise you. And Holy Spirit, we ask now that you would descend upon us like the rain outside. Be our teacher, be our healer, bring encouragement and strength and conviction and comfort and transformation that only you can bring, Jesus. And Jesus, we praise you for your table, for your body and your blood that was broken on the cross, that was shed for our forgiveness, for the glory of your Father. And I say your words and nothing else, Jesus, be glorified today. And it's all for your glory, Father. We pray these things. Amen. And amen. You may be seated. As we get started today, we're going to be talking, as you see, we have the Lord's Supper today. and We're going to be talking about the Lord's Supper. And I've been actually really nervous about this sermon. I love the Lord's Supper. Having been an Anglican priest for 20 years, we would do it every single Sunday. And I also just love to eat. I love to eat. Now, here's my question. Do you guys like eating? Who likes to eat here? Oh, everybody's so honest today. Good. Confession's going to be short. Now, do you live to eat or do you eat to live? Yes, Andy does both. 
As you can tell, I love to eat, and I exercise all the time, and the only real reason I exercise is so I can eat. It's true. I love to eat. It is my greatest pastime. And I've got a picture I want to show up on the screen. It's a super awesome, wonderful, most beautiful lady on the planet, along with a dear friend in Mexico. This is Christy, as you can see, and then Olga. And Olga is now with Jesus. She passed away last year. She was, I had about three Mexican mothers. She was one of them. She was the first adult in our neighborhood who became Christian. And through her and her husband, Gerardo, God opened up just the floodgates in the neighborhood where we were. Because as adults, she and her husband gave validity, so to speak. The Holy Spirit used them to let the neighborhood know that these white North Americans were not weirdos and we weren't going to steal their children. We weren't going to kidnap their children and take them away. My very first Christmas away from my home and my parents was in Olga's house, a dirt floor, an outhouse, and they embraced me and took me in, and there were like 50 people in this tiny little house, cousins and grandparents and great-grandparents and great-great-great-great-great-great-uncles everywhere, and I was there for Christmas with them, my very first Christmas. My third day in Mexico, I was invited to Olga's house. I didn't know her. I didn't know her husband. Her husband was the first man to become a Christian in her neighborhood. And I had the most spiciest food that first Mexican meal I ever had. It was so hot, I couldn't feel my mouth. I didn't know any Spanish except the word fire. So I said, fuego en mi boca, which that's not what you say when you're like real spiced up. You say enchilar. But I was like, fuego, boca, fuego, boca. But more than that, it was like a chicken soup. But more than that, there was a chicken foot sitting right in the middle of that soup. And that was a delicacy. You were honored if you got the foot. I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea what they were saying. She had a 13-year-old son sitting there, the oldest of their four kids. And I thought, well, Lord Jesus, <laughs> I sang songs for all year before I came down here. Wherever you go, I will follow. Whatever you feed me, I will swallow. So I'm going to pray a great blessing. Lord, I'll get it down if you keep it down. Y'all are kind of slow today. This group gets it right here. <laughs> and I just said, I'm going to copy what, what Gerardo, what Lalo's doing. So he ate the whole chicken foot. I ate the whole chicken foot. He ate the whole soup. I ate the whole soup. He ate all the chilies. I ate all the chilies. And for 20 years, Olga and her husband, Gerardo, would feed me and then Christy, our kids, week in and week out. Amazing hospitality. In Mexico, we learned what it meant to be hospitable. We also learned, too, that in Mexico, especially in our culture, of Mexico, you ate what you were served, even if you didn't like it. Because if you rejected the food, you weren't rejecting the food. You were rejecting the person who gave you the food. You were rejecting their friendship. You were rejecting their hospitality. Chris, you mind putting the picture back on? Now, we became close enough to Olga and Gerardo that sometimes we go over to the house, and we were full. And we could say no, and they would understand. But hospitality and food and eating, unfortunately for us, 
American Europeans, however you say it for us, Caucasian people from Europe. Our idea of hospitality and eating together is very different from almost the entire rest of the world. And it's very unfortunate because our eating today for many of us is driving through McDonald's behind the steering wheel and we're going on to the very next thing. But in Mexico where we lived in a small little town, things shut down at 2 o'clock, literally shut down at 2 o'clock and didn't open back up until 4 and it was a two-hour lunch. And I gained about 30 pounds in Mexico from age 23 to age 43. And it wasn't because I was getting older. It's because they fed me well. They taught me what it meant to have community and fellowship and literally being invited into their home, being part of their families, adopted. We're going to talk about a meal today. And so open your, book, your Bibles back up to Mark chapter 14, the Last Supper. Many of you know the story. And unfortunately, we've kind of dwindled it down to some wafers and a little bitty cup of juice. But it's so much more than that. It is so much more than that. Here at the Last Supper, this is the night that Jesus is going to be betrayed and handed over to suffering and death. Jesus has been ministering for three and a half years with his disciples, not just 12, but there were women and there were other men and women and other men and other women who were with him those three and a half years. Now, he took the 12 away many times to teach them and to commission them and to empower them. But he had been with these people, these men and these women, for three and a half years. They had probably celebrated the Passover for three years straight. And the Passover was the Jewish celebration, one of three great feasts that the Jewish people would celebrate every single year. And the Passover is when they would celebrate and remember when God rescued them from slavery in Egypt. And it says in Scripture, all throughout Scripture, and especially in the book of Hebrews, my favorite book right now, that everything that was written in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures, everything that was written was a foreshadow of what was to come. In Scripture, when I encourage new people who've never read the Bible, I tell them, don't start in Genesis 1-1. You'll get confused in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, whatever you pronounce the stuff. You're going to get really confused. Start with the Gospels. Start with the Gospel of Mark. It's a very simple, clear-cut Gospel because everything ends and begins and starts and finishes with Jesus Christ. Everything. Everything in the Old Testament. You guys know that there's over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about the Messiah. And Jesus has and or will fulfill every last one. Every last one. And now that we're on this side of the cross looking back, we can look back and we can celebrate everything that Jesus did and all that God promised and all that he will fulfill when he comes back again. I just went through the book of Deuteronomy just in my own devotion. It's got 34 chapters, the book of Deuteronomy. 16 times, God commands the Israelites, remember, 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 remember everything that I've done. The Passover was one of the greatest celebrations of worship that the Jews remembered when God rescued them from slavery in Egypt. Jesus is coming down to the end of his life. He knows it. He's God in the flesh. He knows all things. But his disciples were clueless. The disciples knew that there was tension. And they knew that the Pharisees and Sadducees wanted to kill Jesus. And his enemies were getting more and more bold. 
But just like the years passed, we're back in Jerusalem celebrating the Passover again. So we start here in chapter, chapter 14, verse 12. On the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples asked, where do you want us to celebrate the Passover, the dinner? And Jesus tells them, go into the city, and you'll see a man carrying a jar, and you ask him, where does the teacher want us to go? See, Jesus had already set up plans to celebrate the Passover. Jesus was sovereign, and he knew all things. And He had already talked with a friend, a leader, another disciple. We don't know, not one of the 12, but a friend of his, and had asked him earlier, can you prepare, can we use your house, can we use your room to celebrate the, Lord, the Passover? So Jesus had it all set up. So two disciples go in and they find it exactly as Jesus had told them. And they prepare this place because it's not just a quick little meal. It's not like ordering pizza at Little Caesars. And you get the pizza and you come in and you throw down a couple um, paper plates and paper cups and forks and spoons. And you eat real quick and off to the next meeting. One of my biggest struggles here in the United States is we're constantly, 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 we're ever present but never present. We're constantly moving to the next thing. And I found that in Jesus' life, he's never late, but boy, he seems awfully slow. He's never late, but he seems so slow. And yet he's right on time all the time. They get there. And as they're eating and as they're celebrating, we're going to talk a little bit about the Passover meal. I'm not an expert in it, but we'll share a little bit here in a second. But as they're eating the Passover meal, look at what Jesus says. Verse 18, while they were reclining and eating, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Oh, the Passover is supposed to be this amazing time of celebration and worship remembering that God had rescued millions of Israelites that were in slavery, bondage of slavery in Egypt hundreds of years before, remembering what he had done. And they're eating, remembering that, because these were all good Jewish men and women who loved him. And Jesus says, one of you will betray me. Think about how hard that was for these disciples to hear. What do you mean? And they ask, surely not I? And the attitude of them asking was, well, I know it's not me, right, Jesus? And we know because we see what Peter, when they left after the Passover meal, as they're going to the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter is swearing that he will die for Jesus. And Jesus tells him on the way to Gethsemane, you will betray, you will deny me three times. And it says that all the other disciples too, they promised that they wouldn't deny, they wouldn't flee. The disciples were so arrogant. Do you remember just a few weeks ago when we talked about James and John when they asked Jesus, we want you to do us a favor. As Jesus is talking about service and dying and suffering, and they want to sit on the right and on the left. And then the other ten get all hacked off and, and ticked off because they didn't, they didn't get to ask the question first. And in our world, we're always wanting to be in front and charge first. When? In Jesus' kingdom, it's all about going low, serving, being last, the servant of all, which is our King Jesus. And so in their arrogance, they're like, surely not me. <laughs> and Jesus says, no, it's one of the 12. It's one of the ones who's eating with me. And then Jesus declares, the Son of Man will go as it's written about him. Jesus is the Son of Man. That comes from Daniel 7. But woe to the one who betrays the Son of Man. It would have been better 
if he had not been born. So here they are at the Passover. What is the Passover? It was this ornate, elegant meal. But it's an act of worship where every family would come together. And they would take a one-year-old lamb, male lamb without defect. So he's saying in Spanish, without mancha, without blemish. And they had sacrificed this lamb. And every year in the temple, they had sacrificed the Passover lamb for the forgiveness of the sins of Israel. And they would eat this meal with unleavened bread, bread that doesn't rise. And they would remember what God had done in Egypt. And if you remember, Israel was enslaved in Egypt for over 400 years as slaves building bricks and buildings for the Egyptians. And they cried out to the Lord, and the Lord sent Moses. And through ten horrible plagues, but of judgment, righteous judgment upon, upon Egypt, God rescued the Israelites. And the tenth plague was the death of all firstborn. And it might seem harsh to us to hear that, to read that, but Egypt was committing genocide against Israel because they are killing all of their firstborn males. And they had been enslaved for 400 years. And they cried out to the Lord, and God heard their cry, and he rescued them. And the night of that tenth plague, the angel of the Lord passed over all Egypt and killed the very firstborn of all families who had not taken a Passover lamb, had not sacrificed it, and had not put blood over the doorpost of the home. Blood. It says in Hebrews that in order to have forgiveness of sins, blood must be shed. That is God's economy of forgiveness, life for life. And God rescued Israel out of Egypt, and he commanded Israel to do the Passover every single year. So centuries later, down to Jesus, here they are celebrating the Passover. During this Passover meal, there would be four cups of wine that would be blessed. And each one of these cups was a remembrance of God's work, his redeeming work, of rescuing Israel out of the bondage of slavery, of his redemption, of his deliverance. So they would have two cups of wine where they would bless, and then the head of the household, he would retell the story of the Passover in Egypt. And then they'd have another cup, and it would be blessed. And then they would sing the Psalms of 113 to 118. And then after the second cup, they would then have the meal, the Passover lamb, which would remind them of God's great sacrifice and his deliverance, of unleavened bread, remembering the bitterness that it was of slavery. They would also have bitter herbs, the bitterness of their suffering. They would have stewed fruit, which was the color of clay, which would remind them of the bricks they had to build while in slavery. Everything's so symbolic. So much symbolism. And then there would be a third cup after a meal. And then there would be a fourth cup. And then they would sing a hymn, the final Psalms. 116, 117, and 118, and then they'd leave. That was the Passover meal. It wasn't McDonald's. It wasn't even Chick-fil-A. It was an incredible worship service that a family would have remembering all that God had done in Israel, in Egypt for Israel. It says here in Mark 14, verse 22, 
As they were eating, he took bread. He blessed it and he broke it. He gave it to them and said, take it. This is my body. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Here, and if you go, if you turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it'll be on the screen, 1 Corinthians 11. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. And Paul, having been taught about the traditions of the early church just a few years after Jesus had ascended, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, Paul says, For I have received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then it says, what does it say in verse 25? In the same way, he also took the cup after supper. This is the third cup of the Passover meal. The cup of redemption. Do you remember the very first Sunday when we talked here in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus had authority? Authority to teach, authority to heal. What did Jesus say? He said, you have heard it said, do not murder, but I tell you. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you. You see, Jesus being God incarnate, the Son of God, the Son of Man, being King of the universe, he had all authority to bring new teaching. And here as a very good Jew, and as the Messiah of the Jews, he had all authority to change what the Passover was to something bigger and greater and deeper and eternal. Because everything in the Old Testament points to the Passover lamb, and the great Passover lamb is King Jesus. If you remember when Jesus first started his ministry, when he was baptized by John the Baptist, John saw him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who what? takes away the sin of the world. Everything points to Jesus. And he's taking this incredible worship fiesta. I'm thinking too much in Spanish today. Meal, this incredible celebration of what God did for Israel and Egypt centuries before. And he's transforming it into something far greater, not just for Jews, but for the whole world. That bread, his body, would be hung up on a cross, would be broken for you and for me. His body, his blood would be shed, a perfect sacrifice, shed blood for your forgiveness and for mine. Jesus said in John chapter 6, he says that he is the bread that came down from heaven. He is the living bread. And he says, no one has eternal life unless they've eaten of his flesh. He then says, no one will have eternal life unless they've drunk his blood. John chapter 6, the whole chapter, it's an amazing chapter. It's an incredible teaching about the Lord's Supper. It's an incredible chapter about Jesus giving life. And as he taught about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, he had thousands of people following him. And many of them said, this is a hard teaching. We can't stand it. And they left. And Jesus turned to his apostles and he said, are you going to leave too? 
And Peter said, where do we go? We believe that you're the Son of God and that you have words of eternal life. You see, when Jesus was talking about eating of his flesh and drinking his blood, Jesus says, it's the Spirit that brings life. The flesh can't do anything. It's the Spirit that brings life. The Holy Spirit brings life. And he told them, he says, the words that I'm teaching you, that I'm telling you, are of spirit. Because he wasn't talking about cannibalism, of actually eating his body. It was spiritual food. We consume Jesus. We read the written word to have an encounter with the incarnate living word. As we do the Lord's Supper, as we remember him, we eat bread. I'll be honest with you, we drink grape juice. As we eat the bread, as we drink from the cup, we remember what Jesus did. 